Russ. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. Welcome aboard. Yeah, here we are. Yes, we're on the Wilson Podcast, the family show that pulls no punches. All right. I usually start by having people describe their surroundings. Well, I'm currently sitting in the top of uh, an electronics warehouse next to a bunch of aircraft bins full of Harley Davidson parts and just trying to have a little isolation at work. <laughs> wow. What an interesting setting. Yeah, I know. It's just not the standard. <laughs> so you're at work. What are you doing? Uh, well, right now I'm taking a break talking to you, but I'm usually doing half programming and half uh, warehouse management stuff. Parts in and parts out, whatnot. Cool. So you really were pretty isolated before the world became so isolated. Yeah, I've generally been working in a pretty isolated environment for like 10 years. So <laughs> this what? didn't change a whole lot for me because I still got to go to work because we're a warehouse. We sell in uh, industrial repair parts. Right. And yeah, industry's got to be repaired. What kind of industries are you repairing over there? Well, uh, we mostly just sell replacement parts for factory robots and CAD cam machines and that sort of thing. So really, it's like anything that anybody ever might want to manufacture if their giant machine breaks down. We have like the electronics widgets for it. Wow. That's exciting and heady stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so, so you're, but you said that your job is also programming. So what are you doing when you're programming? Well, so usually when I'm programming, I'm writing a bunch of software that just helps manage our day-to-day -day aspects. Like when we want to quote a part, it's often based on what's available on the marketplace and what we paid for it and what we've been selling it for in the past. And so there's like a bunch of different places you have to look up data about this part in order to quote a part or sell it to somebody. And so a lot of what I'm doing is just like, okay, we'll Google all of our competitors' prices for this, see what, if we can find anybody else selling it at any price, see what, you know, check our sales history on it, check our inventory on it, check any emails we may have sent about it, and then try to display all that on like a single screen for people to uh, digest at once rather than trying to go to 70 places to figure it out. Wow, even just trying to get my mind to go to those 70 places just to learn that they existed after listing me of them. I was like, wow, can a robot just That's exactly it. And you're the one who makes the robot. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I'm doing. <laughs> Man, that's so amazing. How do you feel about the prediction that uh, 2029 will be the year that we'll have an artificial intelligence indistinguishable from... Uh, humanity um it's probably a little early they've been saying that since 1979 about the next decade for the entire time oh uh, okay so i do think that's coming in the next 20 or 30 years maybe the next 10 years is a little optimistic on some folks part even but still, it's really hard to still. say what's what's happening right now because there's so the progress is rapid Do you feel like we have reached, because for me, it seems that technology, it's what's the law that says that there's a certain factor more like storage space available for like the same resource? Well, there's a lot of different the ones of these. The most famous 
uh, Moore's Law, which talks about uh, transistor density on silicone wafers. Yes. But genuinely or generally been extrapolated out to everything of like memory and storage and speed and all that stuff. And every time we think, oh, well, we're at the end of what we'll be able to improve, something else changes and you get a lot more improvement. It's been kind of interesting because there's not like my computer is as fast as I would ever really need it to be. The internet's what's slow now, you know? Right. Interesting. Outside of like rendering or compiling large projects or something that's really computationally intensive for the point of that computation, everybody's got more computing power than they really know what to do with at this point. And making my computer boot up in half a second versus one second really doesn't change my perspective of it. <laughs> wow. When did, so when does the internet get faster then? Well, hopefully after this whole world shutting down kerfluffle where we decided that everybody had to work online and realized that we hadn't been improving the internet for a while. It's like right now the internet is a monopoly in a lot of places. Like we really only have Cox cable providing consumer internet in Gainesville. And that's miserable because they're one guy and they have no Im incentive to improve because there's no competition in their field. It's like they're incentivized to put more people on their existing infrastructure because that infrastructure is already in place and already has its cost. But it would be nice if there were three or four of these people all competing on their service quality and then maybe we would have faster internet again. All right, but it takes, yeah, I guess this is the beginning of the wave of people realizing that they need faster internet. Yeah, exactly. And it's been too long since we've been investing in that as a society. Instead, each individual area where there is internet has been consolidating its providers down to one or two small, you know, one or two. And they're usually a giant multinational corporation who owns, you know, 100 municipalities worth of internet providing. And they're just, there's nothing else, you know, they don't have anything to compete with. So why would they might try to make it better? Right. And that's, uh, that's unfortunate. I'm hoping this Elon Musk uh, Starlink satellite internet stuff could at least be the uh, motivation for all the terrestrial companies to get their butts in gear. What's the deal with satellite internet? I don't know anything about this. You'd be completely educating me and I'd thank you for it. Well, I don't, I don't know exactly because I haven't researched it, but Elon Musk has a plan to put like, I think he's starting with 200 geosynchronous satellites and then up to 2,000 in five years or a decade. And they're supposed to cover the entire Earth with the equivalent of cell phone internet, but it's going to a satellite instead of a tower. Huh. And so wherever you go, no matter what you're doing, you'll have internet on your phone that is works faster than what we're currently getting and is theoretically reliable. And again, that's, you know, now there's a different monopoly that owns all of the satellite internet, but at least there's two, two sources of internet. Then I think it's called Starlink is the project he's working on. Wow. Very space age. Yeah. He's cool. Uh, you know, building your own rockets and launching satellites and running your own internet. I feel like, He's either a superhero or a supervillain, and I guess we'll find out which. Have you heard his song? No, he has a song that he, he wrote? wrote. And I guess 
wrote and produced. I don't really know. It's a like totally solid three and a half minutes straight up the middle, like pop, like house dance track. Nice. And it's very, it sounds like if an engineer wrote a song. <laughs> I know something about it's that. It's good. It's very, it's very positive. Uh, well, I should, That's cool. I should, I should clarify and say it sounds like an engineer's first song going into it directly at the level of Elon Musk. It's, kind of, <laughs> it's like if you put, yeah, it's like you just insert like song request into like the Elon Musk machine. And it's like very, you know, it's four on the floor. Like, how could it be? How could that man, that facial expression, be any other beat than four on the floor? Straight right? <laughs> Yeah, but it's great. It's like, don't doubt your vibe is the hook. And nice. It's, like, it's kind of like a computery alien voice. Like, I don't know if it's if it's his voice or sample or whatever, but it's put through like a spacey filter. You feel you feel like you're on like the Mars rover. And also dancing. Well, cool. Uh, that sounds like fun to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, speaking of music, about your band, Vowels. Well, we got to practice for the first time or second time in a while last night. We did it last week and this week. And it's been a little rough going from the three or four nights of week practice with different bands and down to like no music with any other humans ever, really. <laughs> but we're, we're getting back into it. We're figuring out how to space out around a campfire and be appropriately social distanced or whatnot and still play music together. So again, we're in a transitionary phase, as I'm sure everybody is. We were going to be recording an album and all that, but that's all put on hold as people are out of work and... No, there's no uh, no gigs hiring right now. So hopefully we'll get back to it when it's a little bit safer to practice together. Um, other than that, you know, we've been everybody's kind of writing, writing new music that's uh, reflections on their personal lives, and that's always fun and en enriching to hear what other people are going through and from their own artistic expression of it and. Then when you know somebody really well, you can kind of pick apart the other halves and sides of it. Oh, wow. So you're saying that you guys have created some new music since the age of quarantine. Uh, Tristan's definitely written a couple songs. Uh, Caitlin's definitely written two or three songs. Emily's written two or three songs. I think Amy's got a couple of pieces of songs. I, unfortunately, have been working my tail off. We're moving studios from our old spot to a new spot, so we've been remodeling and painting and cleaning and drywalling and all kinds of fun stuff and then my bus broke down a couple days ago so i've been working on the bus as well been a lot of not music fun for me personally oh, but some rust bus fuss that's exactly it there's been a, a little bit of a rust yeah. bus fuss well hopefully but we're getting that in, on order yeah <laughs> But yeah, exciting time. Uh, it's nice to have everybody. Feels like, you know, Tristan and I are working and everybody else is pretty much either picking up odd jobs or, stu or stuck in quarantine. It's been kind of interesting having different parts of our band moving at different speeds and rates the last few weeks. Right. Amy's been uh, out of work for almost a month and 
So she's been kind of running the home front for me while I've been trying to work a little more. Yeah, what an interesting, it shows the resilience of our community, truly, to have, I mean, because a lot of people, their whole work life just totally stopped. And, and oh, as definitely. amazing as it is, how many people are suffering everywhere, it's almost equally amazing how many people have been able to adjust through help from loved ones in the community. Definitely, definitely. And it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a blessing in my life to have a stable job that I can still go to and get a paycheck every every week, especially given that Amy hasn't had that going on. Her coffee shop where she was working has been closed for, like I said, almost a month now. And so it's, you know, adjustments everywhere, a lot of personal adjustments, as I'm sure everybody in the world's making of just learning how to deal with the new new. <laughs> But I think we're going to, I think it's going to open us up to having a more sense of community and more sense of being responsible to and for each other and trying to take care of each other. It seems like there's been a lot of people who have decided to feel more connected to their fellow man. And there's definitely some who have decided to feel less, but most people seem like they're really grateful for the people who have jobs and grateful for the work they're still doing to keep things rolling along. And the people who have jobs are seem to be mostly understanding of the people who can't go to work for whatever reason and trying to take care of them. So I'm hopeful that our society will come out more united and less divided after this whole thing. Absolutely. Well, there's a headline. Yeah. A, a renaissance of community and people doing the right thing. That's nice to think about. Yeah, and it's uh, honestly uh, the world moving at a slightly slower pace while being miserable for live music and whatnot, and has been nice in a way of just giving people a chance to reflect on what's really important and reflect on what it means to be uh, at home together with your family and for those of us who can be, you know. Yeah, that's something I've been trying to wrap my head around because I've a lot of people. Even among just the people I've interviewed, a lot of people have said this is a moment to reflect for themselves and for, you know, everyone they know for the world. And it's kind of like a lot of us, I mean, certainly anybody who has a mindfulness practice, anybody who does any kind of creative thing, anyone, I mean, even if you knit, if you have a moment where you like access quietude and think about your life, you think about, wow, what would it be like if the whole world got in this place of quiet and stillness at the same time and like this is that reality this is it really is happening but it's like yeah no i feel like it's still sinking in for everybody the reality and the repercussions into the future of what's happening right now definitely big adjustment period for every human and it's a it's the first time in my life that all humans have had to deal with it you know i say all i'm sure there's places where there's not corona still but a significant majority of the humans on the planet are facing the same issues and it can't really be blamed on a bad guy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of got to be blamed more systemically on how everyone is operating in the world and how what things are important for your government to be doing for you. And I don't like to get political or preachy on that side, but I do like to tell people they should be aware of what they're paying for, you know. 
I like to advocate for people having an involvement in the political sure. structures around them. And I'm, I'm hoping that people narrow in on what's the like really important things that a government could or should be doing for us. Definitely. Some people are mad about the, what the public safety system is doing, the health system is doing, but it seems like a lot of people are understanding of, you know, the need to really work together and try to make sure that this thing can be minimized in whatever ways we can. And that even though there's nobody suffering in my house, that doesn't mean I couldn't accidentally cause a great deal of suffering in someone else's just by wandering around at the wrong time or wrong place. Right. So like you were saying about mindfulness and, you know, awareness, it's, we're all practicing that a lot more on a regular basis than we had been. Ah, what a nice moment of reflection. It's moments like this that I'm grateful I have this. <laughs> now it's like we just did like a scene change. It reminded me of the Mr. Oh, yeah. Rogers thing. <laughs> what was the guy who did all the piano in that? Famous know, dude. The only the only aspect of that story that I know is I thought that Mr. Rogers wrote some of that music. Is that is that part of reality? Is that because I don't know if he played the I don't know if he played the piano, but I thought that Mr. I think Rogers I'm... was involved in some kind of musical level himself on that show. Um, I think he was, but I think. They, I think he had a relatively uh, famous piano guy who did quite a lot of the music as far as intros and outros. Certainly find that out at some point now. And had been other. Yeah, yeah. You have to Google it at some point. I think I saw some article about him a while back, talking about what he was. Yeah, definitely an important person. The person creating the soundscape <laughs> for that influential show. Definitely. I mean, that's the soundtrack of my childhood in a lot of ways. And it was like so opposite of the Sesame Street approach. You know, Sesame Street was frantic and a thousand ideas scattershot in different directions just so that any of it might catch someone's attention. And Mr. Rogers always seems so focused and serene. Very true. Yeah, Mr. Rogers really modeled a whole different like mind state, like body state. <laughs> Definitely. Like, well, the coming inside and changing your sweater from one sweater to the exact same sweater and taking off your shoes and putting on your slipper. Yeah, I mean, he lives a slow-paced life. It's full of routine. And, like, what could be wrong with that? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting. It got a little boring when you got older, but I think that was because it was supposed to be... uh, supposed to be soothing right. for younger kids you know <laughs> yes a certain moment oh i have a good question for you you did you hopefully i think will enjoy answering this question what chord is humanity on right now like what key and then like what chord in that key do you think humanity's on hmm 
I'm feeling like we uh, we might be on say, like an A minor key, but we might be in a, a like flat six augmented chord yeah. or a, a five augmented chord. So maybe like yeah. E and F aug- yeah. or F so augmented chord there yeah. somewhere. So we're in a backdrop of this kind of zone, but we are in a certain uh, harmonic location in this key. And you're saying somewhere perhaps in like this zone? Or, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like there's a little bit of melancholy in the background. And a whole lot of excitement yeah. in the foreground. <laughs> when do you think that happens? When do we get when do we get to this chord, Russ? Well, I'm not sure. That's uh, that sounds like maybe when we uh, realize that our egos are not going to control the duration or <laughs> of this whole endeavor, that no amount of uh, feeling outraged about it is actually a solution. Maybe we'll have that that dour moment, or not dour is the wrong word, but that um. Leaning away from the happier, more excited parts and into the more resolved, uh, restrained parts ah. of our experience. I think some people are already there, and then it's the uh, you know people protesting and our friends who are actively dealing with this are are still the uh, the more excited one. But some of uh, you know the people who are stuck at home are more and content with that situation are pre- probably already moving there. Yeah, I agree with you. Because it is, it's a wave. I, I asked uh, my friend Jacob that question, and he said that it was like the moment in between chords where it's like, we were over here maybe. But then it's like, we're going to here. But there's this moment in between where it's like, if you want, you can go like... And so it's like the bottom has already resolved, right? Like, you know, the the riptide is already, like, sucking water in from the shore. But then the rest of the wave, like, is still, like, yeah. hasn't settled yet. Yeah. That's cool, man. But yeah, so how uh, do you guys still have any chickens over there? Is that still a situation? Well, they're quails, not chickens. But yeah, we have fourteen baby baby quails that hatched in the last two weeks, and we have now, after yesterday's tragedy, six adult quails. Or no, I guess we're down to. 
We had seven and we lost two, so I guess five dragon. adult quails now. Uh, there was a, a minor ma quail massacre yesterday morning when we got up. We uh, have started building a second cage to house all these little baby quails once they get a little bigger. And we had moved half our quail population into it. And while nothing managed to get inside the cage with them, something did manage to hook them from the outside of the cage and then pull them up against oh, no. it and feast on what bits it could squeeze through the wire. Yeah, it was a little gory, a little messy. But uh, such is the nature of uh, wildlife, right, uh, livestock, nature, I suppose. Yeah, a little hard. They're they're. It's okay though, because the ones that were pets are dying off, and the ones that are just just livestock right. are the ones that are left. That's unfortunately. Dynamic. Well, eventually, right. I'd like to eat some of these quails, so it's probably for the best. You know, the more things that steal the ones that I'm in love with away from me makes me a little more uh, inured to the <laughs> right, ending tragedy like of eating the ones I've been raising. Yeah, you're a little, you're that little. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well, something's going to eat this right, if, right. whether I do or not, so I might as well get in on it. <laughs> you're ready to step into the circle. Oh, I've been trying. <laughs> One day we'll get to it. I'm like, well, I can't eat them now. I'm down to so right. few, and I need to raise these ones like up to adults. Ways of preparing that dish, recipes, anything like that. Um, I'm pretty. I've, I've got some good ideas about it. Uh, the processing aspect of it. It's supposed to be one of the easiest animals to process from animal to meat. It involves uh, sniffing off all their extremities and then turning them inside out, and that sounds a little uh, visceral to my taste. But wow! Then I'm hoping for some quail pot pies, or maybe some quail. Uh, they're they're basically like chicken strips already. They're so small. Right. <laughs> you get like two two strips off of a quail, and uh, so maybe we'll make some barbecue chicken strips and some uh, quail well, pot pies. Uh, I'm, I, I love pot pies. They're one of my favorite things. We don't have enough savory pies in our culture. We settled on sandwiches, and I love a good sandwich too, but a savory pie can be so great. It's like a soup Absolutely. and a sandwich at the same time. Yeah, I'm a fan of shepherd's pie, um, pot pie, I guess. I mean, I think I've had, is the mincemeat pie the one that's it's like crushed up nuts, and it's kind of, it's almost like a like on the border of like pecan pie, but it's still in the savory zone. Is that a mincemeat pie? I think there's a bunch of different varieties of it because that's the one I had always known. But last Christmas, someone brought me a quote unquote real mincemeat pie. And it was like somebody had shoved an entire so pot roast into an apple meaty? pie. Like paint a picture for me. It, it was like... Not super sweet, but like had a sweet edge to it. There was there were apples and raisins and stuff like that. But it was also like that thick brown gravy from a pot pie or a, a, a like a pot roast and like chunks of meat and onions and carrots and peas, like all that good stuff that you'd want in there in a pie crust with like a little bit of apples and cloves and cinnamon 
So you're like kind of riding that edge of where it could be sweet if it had too much sugar, but it's like firmly on the savory side, that given all nice. the veggies and meat. It was good. It was it was a wild experience. I was like, this is what I've been missing. I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> Nobody ever served me like a beef so pie. So that's the Christmas. real mince meat pie. And is it is it is there a gravy kind of juiciness in it, or is it dry? Like what I think of as a mince meat pie is like not super gravy heavy. This one was much more gravy-ish, wow. like a thick gravy, a stew kind of situation. And there's like a little tinge of, like I said, the apples and the raisins kind of give it like a, a hint of sweetness around the edges, but still firmly into like, I'm eating a pot roast that's wrapped up yeah, in a pie crust. Great. So I want to ask you about it was, it was your, amazing. your formation, your phalanx of band practice of like a fire in the center and then because there's a lot of members in the band relatively speaking so i'm picturing like a big a big circle people have uh masks and like uh their instrument well we're, we're we're going the mask because uh half of us are have seen each other regularly tristan's been helping me with the studio pretty regularly so it's kind of like the people who are already in a group are sitting together pretty close. And then everybody's kind of got like six feet around the fire or six feet across mm. the fire to the next person, next group of people. So we kind of have like maybe three little set session, like areas in our fire, like a, a triangle kind of situation. And we're just kind of trying to make it uh, work as much as we can. Well, all of us have been pretty good at the general isolation of things. I mean, I've been probably the least isolated just because I've been trying to get so many projects accomplished. And unfortunately, they were on a deadline from before this whole thing even started. Of Like, we started saying, okay, let's move the studio. And then a week later, it, like, okay, now nobody can go anywhere or do anything. And I'm like, I got two things I'm oh, renting. Geez, I need to right. stop so renting one of them. That Yeah, so we we had, like, I mean, and we ended up moving out on, like, midnight the day after we were supposed to be moved out. But we got it. It's empty. We're into the new space. That's almost to where it needs to be to be usable. And, uh, and we're sitting outside, you know, while we're doing band practice. So we kind of have, like, three of us on one side sitting pretty close together with the guitars and then... Caitlin over a little ways away with lunchbox kind of over on the other side because he, by virtue of not playing an instrument, doesn't have to be quite so. Uh, right. You know, he's mostly just hanging out, rhyming for us occasionally, so he doesn't have to necessarily be right up in the midst of things to make that happen. Emily's got a saxophone, so she could sit a little further away and still be heard just fine. <laughs> Caitlin's banjo uke is in kind of a similar <laughs> boat. So, you know, it's it's definitely not ideal. I would way rather just be in the room together with the mics and the, the gear and do the thing like we normally do it. Tristan's not been playing the drums much because it's right. They're not super much a campfire instrument. So he's been playing this old guitar he grabbed out of the studio during the studio move and put new strings on for us. And that guitar is kind of funny. It's a... Uh, 
um, early to mid eighties ovation, one of the lower end models. We, we found it with the whole front plate has cracks running down it along the sides of the bridge from the top to the bottom of the front. I don't go all the way through, so it's not like sagging, but the wood is definitely cracked there. It was missing a tuner that had been replaced with a random bolt. Um, and looked to be a, a, just a total POS beater guitar. Like we found it behind somebody's cl- uh, uh, couch and just decided to fix it for them probably 10 years ago. Cause it was kind of a cool looking guitar and it is one of the nicest sounding, nicest playing acoustic guitars I've ever found. It's got pretty low action, so you can, you know, it doesn't hurt to play it at all. It's got a pretty thin neck. It's the, as much as the big plastic thing kind of sucks to hold on your lap while you're playing it. It's, you know, it, it doesn't really change too much with the yeah, weather because it's got a giant plastic bowl on the back of it. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, kind of like shaped like a normal guitar on the front, but on the back of it, it's got this big, like, thick black plastic bowl sort of situation that is attached to the back of it. So it's there's no flat edges on the back of it all. There's nowhere to really rest it on your leg. And it's a pretty smooth thing, but it projects really nicely, I guess because it's so rigid and, uh, you know, plastic and bowl-shaped instead of square. I imagine that means that a lot more of it is projected back out the sound hole instead of getting kind of caught up in there. I know that's why they used to do that on that's the cool. older oods and lutes and mandolins and whatnot. Uh, and it's, I think it has to do with, like modern guitars. We can brace. We have much better bracing systems than on older stuff. So you'd end up with a smaller faceplate on the older stuff, and to build the volume up, you'd want a kind of a deeper back. But again, bracing wasn't all there, so they would build the like the bowl. I think to just kind of help project it out and give it more volume that's in cool. there. I guess that's where Ovation got the idea, but I've always found them a little uncomfortable to play sitting down because they just kind of, the, that bull back just wants to like slide off your lap and out off the front of yeah, you. Yeah, I've also had that same experience with Ovation guitars, but I agree, there's something there's something charming about the sound. What about, yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Very playable guitar. Very like other than the fact that it wants to jump away from you, like standing up with a strap, it is easy, easy to play. And I say uh-huh. that as someone who's not super fond of playing acoustic guitars, <laughs> steel strings. That is, I usually gravitate towards ukuleles and other Man after my nylon heart. string, less pressure sort of instruments. Other than the bass, I like the bass. And, but I well, think it's something about the thickness of the big, string thick steel the strings. Way that <laughs> the finger attacks it. Definitely, uh, that's one of the reasons I like the nylons. Is uh, they the, the strings are just physically thicker for the same tone, <laughs> and at the same time move a little bit more, mm-hmm. give you like a little bit less hit back from yes, them. Yes, through the recoil of the steel strings. Yeah, they're, they're stiff and they come back at you and they're, you know, it's hard to move. It takes a lot more to get them out of the way. If, you know, I feel like 
Sometimes the nylons are even a little too stretchy of like you can flail them out exactly. too far away from where, you, you know, they're not resetting fast enough to pluck them again. <laughs> so you said you guys but they're all fun. still writing music. <laughs> can you speak to like what's the tone of the music that you guys have written? Maybe not not only since the spring, but like in this year, like what did you guys come into the 20s? with as an intention for your songwriting well intentionality or not it's been a it was a rough last half of 2019 for us and 2020 hasn't been uh has it been uh, as optimistic as we were hoping at the beginning of the year we had a few friends pass at the end of the last year and some chaos in our friend circle and we've all been kind of emotionally dealing with that i know the songs really i th- I don't know if i have three songs or one song that has got the three pieces in it but they're introspective and trying to understand facets of existing in the world that are less pleasant while the song itself shouldn't i don't want the song itself to be dreary or unpleasant but it does kind of need to address the things that we're going through so it's it's been an interesting thing to write uh write music for personally that is addressing the hard stuff that I've been processing emotionally and the changes in my life as I've gotten older and seen more stuff go down and still have that be uh you know I don't want to write music that makes me depressed to play it even if it's cathartic to get through it and I don't want to write music that is hard for others to listen to, even if it's about a hard subject. I'd rather write something that's got uh, some beauty and solace in it. And so finding the right tone has definitely been my personal emphasis in writing this. And that's that's sort of anything to be saccharine sweet. It should contain the darkness too. And I never really want anything to be overly dark because for my taste, we're all looking for the silver lining that's coming around the next corner in the tunnel, you know? So I I like my music to to not be wholly one or the other. And for me, finding the right tone to not make light of the the hard hardships we've been facing and to talk about those, but also not uh, drag anybody through the mud on it. Right, absolutely. Like establishing a position that is not anti another position but is rather pro the union of many positions yeah like a way to work through your trauma not re reinvest in it i guess yeah yeah don't reinvest in your trauma i like that don't get a second mortgage on your trauma (laughs) exactly man you can you can keep bringing it back and keep going through it but the goal of going through your trauma is to like work through it, not to continuously like reinvest your right. life with that energy. So, uh, and I, so that's me personally. Emily has been writing really sweet songs. She's got a fairly newer, newer relationship that seems to be working really well for her. So she's had more, uh, more po- genuinely positive recently. Uh, other people have had, you know, changes in their personal lives. You know, I don't want to call anybody out, but it's been 
some of our band members have had a little bit of a harder time interpersonally and you can hear that in their writing, but there's, it's, their writing also is trying to grab the hopefulness, I think, you know, and that's, a, again, that's how pain is to, to work through it and try to find where I'm going because of this. This is a, a change in direction a little bit. Where am I going to go to now from here? And that's, I think, the, the, the timbre of their songs right now as well. Some uh, aching in it. and Some of our other band members are writing some more angry songs about the political system in the, our world right now. And I think that's, that's totally <laughs> understandable. <laughs> I could see that. I, it's not where I choose to dwell or spend my time. Uh, in my mind, the political system is constantly in flux between all right and pretty bad. It's never particularly good. And most of the time, by the time, the time it gets to pretty bad, we're changing it to do something different a little bit. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll be back on the upswing towards pretty good and less pretty bad. <laughs> Get back to the all right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like political songs, but I don't. They, they tend to feel too topical for me most of the time. I'd rather find the non-political way to talk about it. Oh. Remove some. Yeah, of... talk about the dynamic. Tell the story of two beings or entities at odds and reaching harmony, striving for harmony more, not broadly, but like more esoterically, more universally. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about, uh, you know, and when you get, you could take it really poetic and not even have the characterizations, just have feelings and images. And that's I, when I, when I first started writing songs, I never wanted to write anything. Like I was, I love story songs. It's one of my favorite kind of song is just to tell a story with some cool characters in it. And even if I don't, I, if it's a great character, I don't sure. have to agree with their position. You know, the character can speak for itself and I can sing for that character in a way that releases them without it being something that I'm advocating or speaking for. And I think that's really powerful to uh, talk about, positions that I'm not particularly interested in living myself. And then the other half of my writing tends to be like, I don't really want to push a message on anybody about what I'm trying to say. I'd rather present images and brush strokes that lead you to have an emotional reaction that might somewhat be similar to my own emotional reaction to whatever I'm working on. And I like divorcing the thing, you know, the thing I'm working from from those images a little bit so that they can stand on their own a little more and be invested with what other people need to put in them. Yeah. Well said. I think of it as kind of like we are like dolphins and the dolphins go out and explore and they hear the sounds of the sea and they encode those in their brain, but then they're able to make the same sound. They like reproduce exactly the same sound back. And so it gives the other dolphin like the experience of being in whatever they just went through. And it's like, we're trying to access that level of bringing someone into an experience. It's like, okay, I've got three minutes to deliver this feeling of catharsis that if you go along with me, you'll get to the end of it and be like, Oh, I know what you're talking about. 
Yeah, exactly. Or they'll say, I think this, that they know what you know, you were talking about, you know, at least they feel like they knew what you were talking about, even if it had nothing to do with your original emotions. And that's, that's where I find song to be its most powerful and most powerful for a, a broader audience, but also most powerful for me because it doesn't get stuck in time. You know, if I'm writing a song that's really personally about something that personally happened to me at a specific moment in time, after a while, it, they can kind of feel like they're losing their relevance. Whereas if you, for me personally, if I leave enough uh, ambiguity in there or enough space between the symbols so that it could mean something new as I move into a new part of my life, sometimes I'll find that the song opens up over and over again to have a new different interpretation for me. You know, that as I'm singing it, I invest different words, different voice or uh, verses, different parts of the song with the energy I feel right now and the way I'm feeling about the song as it applies to my life now, rather than being stuck about when I wrote the song and how I wanted it to feel at that moment. So true. I, I think of a song, yeah, just like that. It's it's a ritual that comes out of whatever the adversity is of the time. But for me, in the best cases, by the time I'm done writing the song, that has kind of been the ritual of the healing, or at least the beginning of the healing. And then, yeah, it's like booting up that sequence yeah. again uh, to just kind of like spread the message of like the fruiting out of the healing, not just like, not again, not the reinvesting in the suffering. Yeah, exactly. And I think it requires, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe you can say things really directly and still get that broad applicability. But I find for my own writing, it's easier to have a broader applicability with the, if I put mm-hmm. less specifics into the song. If I talk about it in a more poetic sense of just some symbols that mean those things to me at this moment, and maybe a storyline or a characterization or an emotional movement, you know, where you can use the words to hit people's emotional buttons in a certain order. Maybe it's that sequence of emotions more than that was important to me at the time now than it was when I was writing it, it was a specific thing I was going through. And I try to, like I was saying, I just try to spread that out a little bit. So it's not so specific and direct. And I, I don't, I, you know, there's a ton of brilliant topical songwriters who write about stuff that's happening like right now. And it's about a specific thing and they don't necessarily want the song to live forever. It's not about that for them. It's a way of mm-hmm. current event or uh, current eventing, but that's, that's not how I feel about my songs. I tend to play them over and over for years and years. And I don't, I try not to let any go by the wayside, you know? If I don't feel like a song is very good by the, I just probably have not finished writing it. Everything can be as a complex and as good as it, as you want, Amen. if you keep changing it until you feel good about it. And that's just cause I'm not a professional songwriter. You know, it's something I just do when I feel like I have something I want to put out there. I don't, I'm not trying to write a great song for somebody else. Most of the time. Most of the time I'm just writing about the things that are kind of a way to a gateway to get all the 
unformable subconsciousness mm. out into something else that maybe will reflect some of that un- unformed abstractness back at me with something a little more concrete. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like grabbing a little piece of some like weird piece of confusion in your mind and looping it, trying to get it to give you some feedback. Mm-hmm. Cause is that go ahead. Well, this is, I, I was going to say, I think this is why we refer to her as the muse so often of it's a relationship, you know, with the song, with the idea of the song and, mm-hmm. and the feedback, you know, if I do this, does it make me feel better or worse? Or how does it may change my mood when I play it this way? Was it good enough that I could remember it the next time I wanted to play it? Yeah, I think about that too, the compelling factor. It has to be compelling first of all to perform it right and even remember it, and then it has to be compelling to whoever I'm performing to. Right. It's an interesting thing. I, I, I love that part of the art <laughs> yeah and what a gift i mean just i mean forget even the band just a collection of that many songwriters for you guys to be able to play off of each other and have that as like a, uh as like a workshop you know for everybody being a songwriter yeah. of, their, of their own right it's just like so it's inspiring to see that continue to work and sharpen all of you as it does Oh, definitely. And it's, you know, when when somebody writes a song that's not the way you feel about songwriting, but you still really care about performing the song the right way, it opens you to a broader, a broader way of performing, a broader sense of what's, cap- what's possible. Yeah, constantly expanding all of each other. Well, it's, yeah, it's been exciting to see and it'll continue to be exciting to watch it develop even more yeah well, yeah cool. i hope so for well, sure <laughs> uh, Russ, what do you think the world needs now what the world needs now is love sweet love uh and probably continue to <laughs> order takeout i don't know cheaper cheaper takeout prices with a more diversity of takeout restaurants wow. and love, sweet love. Yeah, well, that's that's fantastic, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> uh, Val, yeah, yeah, Val's like. Oh, thanks for Al, talking Al, to me. It's Al, been fun. Is the website. Yeah, and it's vowels like owls. That's the one. Vowels spelled as if it were the word owls, but it's not. It's vowels. Vowels like owls. One word, lowercase letters, I believe. Uh, dot com. Well, yes, sir. Russ, again, it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Uh, I say to you, namaste. Namaste. Have a good one, man.